G7. Well, good morning, everyone. All right, that was way better than first service. That was way better. Hey, let's just start with a Christmas song just right off the bat, yeah? Yeah. All right, let's go. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to Great Commission Church. Let's enter into a time of praise and worship. Let's usher in the Holy Spirit with our singing this morning. I want to read from Psalms 99. The Lord is King. Let the nations tremble. He sits on his throne between the cherubim. Let the whole earth quake. Let them praise your great and awesome name because your name is is holy so jesus we sing to you we we praise you as our king this morning lord point every every heart point every eye every ear lord point it in your direction to praise you as our king this morning holy spirit take us to a place that we cannot go on our own and just lead us this morning and be praised Let's sing. 
As the Spirit was moving over the water, Spirit, come move over us. Come rest on us. Come rest on us. As the Spirit was moving over the water, Spirit, come move over us. Come rest on us. Come rest on us. And come, Spirit, when you Make my heart pound when you feel the roar. You're here and I know you are moving. I'm here and I know you will feel me come. Spirit, when you move, you make my heart pound when you feel the roar. You're here and I know you are moving. I'm here and I know you will feel me.
chorus one more time. You can have a seat. All right. Stay excited and stay expecting. It's going to be a great day in the gathering of the saints. I'm Trevor Davis. I'm GCC's pastor, and we want to welcome you to the Lord's Day meeting here at Great Commission Church, and we really are thrilled that you're here. Our honored guest is the Lord Jesus, who's risen from the dead and who has redeemed us from the curse of the law and from our sins. And so it's yet another Sunday to gather and celebrate him and song in the preaching of the word and giving and in prayers and all that we do. And you came in to be with us today, and so we're so glad. Now, a couple of housekeeping things that I need to do. There is, that I, really, I need you to put your hands on these things. There is a, a card in your seat. We call this a ministry card. Uh, it says, welcome on the front. And you know what we do? We use these to worship God every Sunday. Um, our members will just put their name on there. We've got all their information. And if you're, if you're not a member, you just give us as much information as you feel comfortable. That's fine with us. What we're really interested in is the back of that welcome card has some places that you can write to us about how we can stand with you in prayer. What would you like for our church to, to pray for you about? And we're 24 years straight every Sunday. We've been receiving these, and we get dozens and dozens and dozens every week. Some folks will write us a little novel, and some will just write one word. And God, God is able to work through all of that and, and, and translate it and see what you need, and we're glad to pray for you. What we do is we pray at our staff meeting out loud uh, for our church. And so we want you to worship the Lord with us by giving us ways that you can, uh, you can be prayed for. On the front of that is a list of next steps. And I'll, I'll use that again at the end of my message a little bit later. And just, it's a way for us to say, God, what we've heard today, the truth that we've received, what, what, what would you like for us to do with it? And so this is an important way our church worships. We want to invite you to do that with us. There's also this pretty envelope in your seat. And today is, the, is our gift for Jesus, our Lord's Sunday. It's our special Christmas offering, and we do this as a church every year for, um, for lots of reasons. One of the main reasons is to say, you know, it's Jesus's birthday. He should get the biggest gift that we give at Christmas. And so one of the commitments our church has made for the last 15 years or so is we say, Lord, on your birthday celebration at the Christmas season, there are going to be a lot of gifts received and a lot of gifts bought and given. Uh, we're not, we're, we're not going to give anybody a gift that we spent more money on for your birthday than you. You get, you get our largest donation and our largest gift, and that's, that's a way that we keep Christ as the center of the Christmas season. And so, church, I'm going to ask you to do this. Even if you're going to participate in this offering at next week or the week after, um, in a show of solidarity for all of us when we have the time to give, just bring this envelope. Um, if you have your check or, whatever, or, or if you're giving uh, digitally today, uh, bring the envelope and let the church know, hey, I'm, you can count on me to, to participate in the gift for Jesus our Lord. And in a few minutes, we're all just going to come, not even going to be any ushers or anything. Uh, Blair's going to call us to the front, and we're going to come to these two receptacles, and we're going to worship the Lord by the gift for Jesus our Lord. 
And if you didn't come prepared for that today, you can still give next week and the week after. We're just kind of doing the ceremony today. If you're a guest, we're not asking for your money. If you want to participate in the offering, you may. There will be no pressure on you at all. And now the last bit of housekeeping for me today is to introduce a good friend of mine. Um, I was raised in the, in the Baptist church in town. My parents were uh, young parents and, and young leaders there, and, and they worked in the student ministry back when student ministry was in its infancy. And First Baptist Olive Branch had just, gotten, had just uh, hired their first ever youth pastor, and his name was Hal Mayer. He was good friends with my mom and dad, and, and since then, Hal's gone on to great things in the ministry, and he's been a counselor from a distance to me. Uh, he and his wife, Sandy, are with us today, and he's going to come now and exhort our church and encourage us. So would you give a big, great commission welcome to Hal Mayer? And I didn't make fun of you, bro. You I, uh, I overcame the temptation. Love you, buddy. Glad yeah. you're here. That's so good to be with you guys. Uh, I've known Trevor since he was that big. I mean, his parents are great folks, and I enjoyed hanging out with them. And I probably changed a diaper or two for uh, Trevor. Not many of y'all in here can say that um, or wanted that. I, I get it. I mean, <laughs> probably didn't even want to know about it. But, and I'm not sure I did. I, I didn't change many of my kids' diapers. Somehow I had to be somewhere at a certain time. And, it's been so fun to watch you guys, I'm in sunny Florida, to watch you guys kicking a dent in hell in Olive Branch. It's just fun to watch you going after it and seeing what God's doing. And uh, I'm going to get my timer here. Trevor's put me on the clock. Um, actually, he hasn't. I put myself on the clock. But seeing you guys, you guys were pioneers at the beginning. How many of y'all were here when you were at the school? All right, both of you. Here's the thing that happened. At the school you did set up and tear down, you're setting up signs, you're getting there early, you're putting it all up, people leave, leave trash, you're cleaning it up, putting it all back. Those are the pioneer days when you're just doing whatever it takes to reach people far from God. Eventually they all saved some money, had some good leadership, and you bought some property and, and built a building and moved in here. And here's the thing that often happens when you get a building. You, you kind of move from being... Uh, pioneers to being settlers, right? Because you got the place. You didn't have to do set up this morning. You just kind of show up and grab a cup of coffee, maybe a banana, and come in here, and, and life is easy and it's good. And, and what happens with settlers, if you think back to the early days of the country, uh, they start building fences, start making rules. They elect people to tell them what to do, right? And so churches tend to move toward more taking care of what they have than taking more ground. Does that make sense? And churches, if they're not careful, wind up doing the same thing. Now, I get it. You've got to take care of a building. Somebody better pay for this electricity. You're going to freeze in here next week. But, but the truth is, it can move you into a maintenance mode where all you're doing is trying to take care of yours, right? So I was so pumped uh, when Pastor Trevor told me, your, your leadership here has decided to refocus on the one. Now, for those of you... Uh, who aren't familiar with the one. It comes out of Luke chapter 15. There's actually three parables in that chapter that talk about the importance of going after the person who's not yet here, right? Uh, the first one's about the 100 sheep and one gets lost. He, the shepherd leaves the 99. Does that make any sense to go after one percenter? Leaves the 99 to go after the one. And that's where you get the idea of where about the one. It's not the ones that are in here. Oh, yes, you're important. And, and we're, we want you to plow into ministry and grow. 
but it's about the one that's not here yet. I mean, Jesus didn't come so we could sit in nice buildings and be warm and hold hands and sing Kumbaya. He came to pull people out of hell. He did me, right? He did you, right? And then the second story in there is about the prodigal. And the prodigal son uh, is a story about a dad who never loses his heart for his boy. And all he's doing is watching the gate every day, hoping he's going to see that gate, that walk of his son, and come through there. And his son comes home. You know the story. He's so excited. He puts a robe on him, a ring on him, sandals on his feet. And yet there's somebody not happy. Remember who? The older brother. He's kind of torqued because his dad never threw a party for him, and he stayed the whole time. His dad never threw a party for him, and he's been working the whole time. And what happened? The father looked at him and said, you don't understand. He was lost, now he's found. That's why we're here. And here's the danger. We can get what's called the older brother syndrome. That happens in churches. And here, here's what it looks like. If you don't catch the father's eyes for reaching people far from God, you'll catch the older brother's eyes for taking care of yourself. Well, I need this for my family. I need this for me. I need this, and I like this, and I don't like that, and, you know, grow this out, cut this off. And all that becomes about you. And so the challenge is, how do you focus on the one? Because here's the other thing that happens. When you're with 99 that's what you hear. It's an echo chamber. And it's rolling around in there, and it's what do we need. And I'm not saying the 99 don't matter. Please don't hear me, and don't quote me that way. Uh, don't put it on the Internet, because I don't like famous. <laughs> Said no one ever. Uh, but the, the truth is, it's about the one. That's why you leave 99 sheep to reach the one. So to embrace that mission, what do you have to do? You've got to change your focus, because here's what a lot of churches will think. Here's what we'll do. We're going to disciple everybody. I'm going to preach great sermons, and I'm sure Trevor preaches them every week, right? I'm sorry. I'm, Trevor preaches great sermons every week, right? Yeah. I knew that was the case. Um, and then they'll mature, and once they mature, then they'll go out and start winning their friends to Christ. Only one problem with that. I've never, ever, ever seen it happen, and I've been alive a long time. Now, I color my hair to give the appearance of age, but I'm really an older fella. Yeah, you didn't believe that either. Let me tell you how maturity happened for me. I'm 24 years old. Sandy and I are married. We don't have kids. We're having fun. We're both playing softball. I'm playing AAU basketball. Life is good. It's about us. Go out when you want. You don't have to worry about getting somebody to watch your kids. Some of y'all don't do that anyway, but you can get, you can get arrested for that now. Uh, but we wouldn't worry about that. And people said, how you're not mature? And I said, yeah, so what? Well, then we had kids, two of them. And at age 30, somebody looked at me and said, how you've, you've really matured. What happened? Did you read a book? You know, what, what happened? And it, my maturity was not a function of age, nor was it a function of a book. It was a function of focus. Because here's what happened. No longer about me. I had two kids to take care of my wife, right? I wanted to make sure my kids came to love and follow Jesus. And so suddenly, my whole world's about them. Maturity happens, not because I read a book on how to be a parent, because I changed my focus. You want to grow as a Christ follower? You find somebody far from God. You love them, help them find Jesus and develop them. You're going to grow monstrously. You're going to mature so far. So, so don't fall into the trap of more study and I'll be mature. I need to know more. Start winning your friends. What happened? My focus changed. Now's the church. 
if we're not careful, we can get focused inward. There's a, a natural draw to inward. The book that your leadership team here has read by intentional churches, it talks about there, there's this magnetism pulling us to the 99. It's not bad, not because the 99 are bad, the, the people who already know Jesus. It's just that's the voice you're hearing unless you decide to get outside the walls, unless you decide to start hanging out in places where people far from God hang out. So how, how do you keep that vision? Here, here's what they would say in the book too. You need a 70% bias toward the one or else you're going to snap back to the 99. It's talking about programming everything focused that way. You see, I'm going to tell you how you know you're reaching the right people. It's the problems you have. If your biggest problem is in the youth ministry is they won't bring their Bibles to youth ministry, you're not reaching the one. Nothing wrong with having Bible study youth ministry. Please, please don't misquote me. Well, I won't say that. Uh, <laughs> I put a filter on it about 10 years ago, and it's amazing the things I don't say anymore. Um, you got some problems in your youth ministry what's going on in the parking lot. Pastor Trevor was telling me that earlier. I said, that's great. That means you're reaching the right people, right? When you're pulling people out of the pit, they're going to smell like smoke. Some of them may have something in their hand that looks like smoke. Got twisted on the ends. Kind of funny, though. Keep your focus on the one church. You will experience growth as a church and as an individual that way. See, there's a, there's a corporate one. I don't know what your corporate one is. I didn't ask Trevor, but generally speaking, it's a younger family with kids. I'm not that guy. However, my one, there's a corporate one, there's an individual one. My one's going to be somebody about my age and my stage in life, and I'm going to chase them down for Jesus, right? So, Go after the one. Keep doing it. I'm so excited you guys have refocused there. Make sure you maintain the Father's eyes, looking outside the gate, and God will continue to use this place. God's best to you. Thank you. Well, let's stand and sing some more together.
You can start making your way forward for the gift for Jesus our Lord offering. Start moving around the room and we'll put them in the, the offering receptacles up front. Use this as an act of worship to our, our King this Christmas time.
the king of love had given up his life the darkest day in history there on a cross they made for sinners for every curse is blood atoned one final breath and it was finished but not the end we could have known for the earth began to shake and the veil
Amen? Do you agree? We praise our King Jesus. Lord, we love you. We give you all of the glory this morning for who you are and what you have done. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Y'all can have a seat. All right. I have in my hands a printout of the top 25 Christmas songs on Spotify right here. And it is a doozy. It is poetic. It's really ridiculous. Any guesses on what the number one song is on the number one streaming service for music in the world? For Christmas songs. Right? The people in the front row always get it right, and I don't know what that means. It scares me for front row people. It's Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas is You. I, I, I shared that in the first service, and a lady in the back goes, like it's like we're still worshiping the Lord. I don't want a lot for Christmas. The, um, there's 25 of these. I Googled the lyrics. I got through six, and I was like, yeah, I'm done with this. It's a big eye roll. The, the, the number two song, anybody get, have a guess? It is not rocking around the Christmas tree, but a good, do what? Feliz Navidad is number, way down there. It's number 13, Jose Feliciano. It is not, oh, Santa Baby didn't make the list. It's Last Christmas by Wham. Now look, last Christmas I gave you my heart. The very next day, you gave it away. Uh, Shakespearean. I mean, I don't know if there are words to describe the poetry. I mean, it's got uh, Silent Night, Holy Night has nothing on last Christmas, right? No. Why are you talking about Christmas songs? Well, there's 25 of them, and guess how many of them mention the birth of Jesus? Zero. In fact, the word Jesus is not in any of those songs at the top 25. Now look, I expect the world to be worldly, yes? I expect a, a world in sin to be far from God and, and to get Christmas wrong, to not uh, celebrate the, the coming of the baby that was born in a manger and that'll die on the cross for sinners. I, I get all that. Here's what I'm saying. <clears throat> we got to keep Jesus in Christmas. And we need to begin to separate from the world in some of these ways. I have been fascinated and locked in on Hark the Herald Angels Sing for the last five years as a Christmas carol because of the deep, rich Christian doctrine found therein. So for the next three Sundays, I'm going to take a phrase from that Christmas carol, and it's going to be the title and the subject of my message. Today is God and sinners reconciled. Uh, next week will be Hail the Incarnate Deity, and I'm going to talk about Jesus being God in human flesh. And then on Christmas Eve, Glory to the Newborn King. Now, all three of those phrases are found in uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing uh, because uh, I want to magnify to our church the idea that you can learn great Bible truth from the old Christmas carols, not any of this modern nonsense. Uh, 
Uh, the biggest eye roll on the list was number three, Ariana Grande, Santa, tell me. Now, I had never heard of that, and I Googled it, and I wished I hadn't done that. It was, it was I, I could hear myself getting dumber reading those lyrics. But as we go through this sermon today, you won't hear yourself getting dumber. You'll hear yourself getting wiser. And so you're going to find 2 Corinthians chapter 5 today. There's only going to be three verses preached and one point on each verse, and that'll be that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God and sinners reconciled. The, the, the question is, do we need to be reconciled to God? Is there a big, is there a big space? Is there, is there distance between us? And the answer is, uh, the need for reconciliation assumes that there are some kind of ruptured relationships between us and God. It, the fact that there's a doctrine of reconciliation in the Bible tells us that, the, that there's alienation between us. We're alienated from God. And the question is, is the problem with God? Is he some kind of cruel taskmaster that, that humans need to break away from? And the answer to that question is, of course not. Human sinfulness created the break. It created the distance. And this sinful condition had to be dealt with before God could be reconciled to sinners. Did you know that sin incurs God's holy wrath? Did you know that, yes or no? Did you know that because of that, it can't be treated lightly? It won't be swept under the rug? You can't get to heaven without dealing with your sin. God is and can never be reconciled to sin, but he doesn't turn sinners away in disgust. He doesn't leave us to our just desserts and what we deserve. Instead, while humanity was still in open revolt, God acted in love to bring the hostility to an end and to make peace with you through the blood of Jesus' cross. So those are just some introductory thoughts. Here are the three verses of our text today. 2 Corinthians 5, 19, 20, 21. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to him, to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let's bow for prayer together. Father, it is with eagerness. It is with a, a sense of longing and anticipation and, and, and a little uneasiness right now, God, that that I preach this truth to this congregation. I pray that you'd bring sinners to yourself and reconcile yourself to them. I pray for the saints of God, some whose hearts are racing, whose, whose uh, life is on fast forward and it's all going right, that, Lord, would you just encourage them today that the good things come from you? And I wanna pray for those saints that it's all going wrong and this season is a time of suffering. God, I pray you'd move into the seat right next to them, sit down next to them today, through the preaching of your word, through the prayers of the saints, and encourage their hearts and comfort them. And God, I pray that the truth that is preached from this pulpit in the next few moments, you won't allow the enemy to steal from their hearts. In Jesus' name, and a faith-filled church said,
Amen. So we're going to start off by making a distinction between two Bible words. And those two words are justified and reconciled. Justified and reconciled. Uh, to be justified, that's a judicial term. It's used in the courts. And it's used by judges. It's what judges do. Did you know that a judge may acquit an accused person without ever entering into any kind of personal relationship with him or her? He can just announce the verdict not guilty and they go their separate ways. Does, when he announces the verdict of not guilty, does the accused then expect to be invited over to the judge's house for dinner? No, in fact, uh, the accused hopes to never see the judge ever again. That's being justified. It, it requires no relationship. It requires no interaction. It just a, requires the announcement of a verdict. The other word is reconciled, and that's different. To be reconciled is a relationship term. And listen to me. We enjoy the company of those to whom we've been reconciled. If you've been reconciled, you've been brought back together and your friends again. So when God reconciles with sinners, he goes to a different level. He's the judge who enters into a personal relationship with the accused. He's the one who announces the judicial term. He justifies the accused and he announces them not guilty. And then he says, would you like to come over to my house and, and can we be friends? He justifies and he reconciles. And so often we talk about the justifying of God and hey man, I've been saved. I prayed that prayer. I, I joined the church. My life's different. I, I've been justified. I've been declared not guilty. That's great. Have you been reconciled? Did you enter into the, do the relationship with the judge that acquitted you? <clears throat> Why is all this necessary? Why are you talking about this, Pastor? Because it's the judge in our illustration that's been sinned against. He's the focus of all the personal hostility here. And so God doesn't simply make a bookkeeping alteration by dropping the charges against us. After he does it, he gives himself to us in friendship. And so God and sinners can be reconciled. Now, here's the sermon outline. It's just got three parts. It's a three-part answer to one question. Here's the question. What is required for God and sinners to be reconciled? What does it take? If God and sinners can come together, what's required to do that? And there's one answer in each of the three verses of our text, and that's where we're going to go in the next, just the next few moments. I'm going to... I'm really trying to be as brief as possible here. And we're going to tie a bow on our church meeting today with a glorious baptism at the end. Are you excited about that? Yes. I am too. All right. The first answer to the question, what's required for God and sinners to be reconciled is this. It's Christ not charging us for our sins. If you want to be able to come together with God, you owe a debt that you can never pay. And you've got to get that debt canceled. You've got to get it removed. Somebody's got to pay it for you. And so if you want to be reconciled to God, Christ has to not charge us for our sins. Verse 19 says, not imputing their trespasses against them. Listen to me. If you die owing God anything, you're in big trouble. If you die and there's sin on your account before the Lord, if there's something between you and him, 
and it hasn't been dealt with at the cross, and you haven't made the, uh, the, if you haven't obeyed the gospel and made the transaction necessary, if you owe God any debt of your sins and rebellion against him and you die, you're doomed. You can't be reconciled to him and you won't go to heaven. You'll, you'll, you'll die and pay for what Jesus already paid for, which is absolutely ridiculous. Not imputing their trespasses to them. God's act of reconciliation, listen to me, friends, it requires a human response. That means there's, there's no reconciling when one side's willing to put the past behind them, but the other side simply just takes advantage of it. Reconciling requires both sides acknowledge the wrong, and then it requires the injured party to let go of the pain, or there can be no reconciling. Now follow me here. God has confronted us with our transgressions. He says, you guys are guilty. You guys are rebellious. I'm holy, you're sinful. These two don't mix like oil and water. There's a big problem here, and God has declared that, but he's also taking the initiative in Jesus Christ to resolve the problem that our sins have created. Listen to me, friends. God, the injured one, has let go of the pain of our willful rebellion. He no longer counts our trespasses against us if we're in Christ. But it remains for us to admit that we've done wrong. It remains for us to repent and turn away from our old life where we were Lord and God wasn't and to receive God's offer of friendship. What's required for God and sinners to be reconciled? Jesus Christ not charging us for our sins. Has he declared you not guilty? Well, that's the first answer. Here's answer number two. What's required for God and sinners to be reconciled? Other humans entreating us to believe. You know what verse 20 says? We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. I want you to think for a second. Who was it that took the risk and talked to you about your eternal destiny? Who's the, who's the witness that invited you to church? Who's the evangelist that said, hey, has anybody ever told you how you can receive eternal life and be made right with God? Who came to you and said, be reconciled to the Lord? Are you grateful for those people? Because God likes to come to us in ways that's easy to reject. And here's what he said. He said he's chosen the foolishness of preaching to save the lost. <laughs> None of you remember what I preached in this room three weeks ago, and you know how I know that? Because I don't remember what I preached in this room three weeks ago. It's a terrible medium. It, it, it's, a, it's auditory, and, and it, it takes a while, and, and we have stream of consciousness, and our thoughts go this way, and our phone's in our pocket, and we want to text our friends and scroll through social media, and our, our attentions used to be this big, now they're this big. We've got no attention span left, and, and nobody remembers the sermons they heard unless God reaches down from heaven and puts some grace on it and says, this is the one where I capture your attention forever. Because if preaching was a good medium, men and women would take credit for it. But because we flush our minds with what we hear almost immediately, 
the fact that the preaching of the gospel arrested your heart and brought you to Christ, only God can get the glory for that. So he takes human agency and says, I'm going to do it in a way that nobody else would choose, that nobody thinks works. And you'll know it's from heaven. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So it requires other humans taking the risk and coming after you like Pastor Hal said earlier, <clears throat> you know, the, the absolute most selfless thing any church can do is decide to grow. Because to grow, you have to change. And the change means that you have to alter the way you normally interact at church here. It, it requires effort and sacrifice and inconvenience. And, and, and the truth be told, if I told you all that was entailed in the kind of growth that we're going to do in the next few months and few years, some of you go, hey, it's not for me, it's too hard. Because when you go out into the world and you tell sinners, come and meet Jesus, they come into church unvarnished. They come in with all sorts of rough edges and they don't, they don't have the same sophistication that years of being sanctified in Christ has, has made you into all the, just the wonderful neighbors that all of you are, and I mean that. When a church grows, it brings in problems. The, the problems of sinners who have been far from God, who are, going, who are being transferred from darkness to light, making that killer crossover that John 5, 24 talks about, where they cross over from death to life, and now they're newborn babies in Christ, and they don't know how to act in God's church. They don't know how to live. They don't know how to, how to inter, interface with all the believers. It, it, it's hard. It's difficult. I mean, you, you say, man, we got this great children's ministry in the back, and it's safe for my kids, and, and, and everybody is on their best behavior. You bring in, bring in some little heathen kids, right? And they, some that, look, you bring in some, some young, young people, and they, they didn't have what you had. They, they didn't have a dad. Maybe, they, maybe their grandmother raised them or a single mom, and, and nobody's ever shown them how to interact with adults and to... And to and, and to look at the property of others and even respect it. And you go, man, this is just a mess. And you're like, that's exactly right. Look, you know what salvation is? It's God cleaning up messes that only he can clean up. And he uses the church. And it, look, are, do, you, do you really want sinners to be reconciled? Because you can't stay the same if they do. What's required for God and sinners to be reconciled? Other humans entreating us to believe. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. And in, the, in verse 20, Paul says he's an ambassador. Now, you know what an ambassador is. It's somebody that leaves Washington on behalf of the country or your state and goes to another nation. And, and, and ambassadors don't make deals. That's what diplomats do. Ambassadors just take a message from the leadership and they just deliver the message. And Paul says, hey, I'm an ambassador for Christ. Well, you know what's interesting, though? Uh, we, we know at least two things about ambassadors in the ancient world. If you were an ambassador in the ancient world, it's a lot like our ambassadors today. They, they fulfill basically the same function. But here's the thing. In the ancient world, total safe passage if, you're, if your job is an ambassador for another nation. If you go visit even your nation's biggest enemy, they will not hurt you. They will not mistreat you. They will not imprison you. They will not use your life as a ransom. And in fact, they will roll out the red carpet proverbially for you. You'll get the best dining. You'll get the best lodging. You'll get to deliver your message. You'll get to go home safely. That's the ancient world. Being an ambassador, it was a holy calling. It was protected. 
Why is that important, Pastor? Because of what the Apostle Paul said about himself. He said he was an ambassador in two places. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and one other place. And the other place that he said he was an ambassador for the Lord is Ephesians chapter 6 verse 20. And you know what he said there? He says, pray also for me. I am an ambassador in chains. He wrote that from a prison cell. He said, I'm the only ambassador in the ancient world that's been mistreated. I'm the only one that they did to me what no one was ever supposed to do for somebody who, who, who had my job. I was supposed to deliver a message from a very benevolent king. And it's a, it's a happy message. It's a good message. It's one that everybody needed to hear. And instead of rolling out the red carpet for me, they threw me in jail. I am an ambassador in chains. You know why that's good? It's appropriate for Paul to be an ambassador in chains. It's because he represented Jesus Christ, who was also put to death by worldly powers. You want to know the best way to have assurance of your salvation is when your life starts looking like Jesus' life, all the blessing and all the suffering and pain. And so the Apostle Paul says, I'm an ambassador for Christ. I tell people a message. I don't make deals. I just say be reconciled to God. I got thrown in jail for it. That, the reason I know I'm on the right track is they're, doing, they're treating me the same way they treated Jesus. You know what Jesus said in John 15? If the world hates you, remember it hated me first. You are on the narrow road if you're getting the Jesus treatment. Does that make sense? The other thing about ambassadors in the ancient world, all our surviving documents that we have about ambassadorship tell us that ambassadors and their envoys travel as signs of friendship and goodwill. And the message they take of friendship and goodwill usually put an end to all the hostilities and they usually establish peace. What happened to the Christian church? You know, we can take our Bible and we can find hundreds and hundreds of things that we should be against. Let me just list some. We should be against all forms of perversion in our, in our culture. It should inform the way we vote, but more importantly, it should inform the way we live, yes? Not only should we demand sexual purity, we ought to live it ourselves. Say amen. So we should be against all this perversion, nonsense, and pronouns, and all that stuff. But, but uh, that's, no, that's not uh, some kind of newsflash to the world. We should be against the killing of babies in their mother's womb. Um, we should be against needless war There's just, there, and violence and all of this stuff. But you know, you know what would be better? It would be better if our reputation in the community was not so much what we're against, but what we're for. You know what I'm for? I'm for Jesus Christ receiving all the glory that's due him. He's the lamb, and I believe that the lamb should receive the reward of his suffering. And so I think it's a good thing to tell people, hey, there's good news from heaven. You can be reconciled to God. It'll change your life. It'll fill you with joy. In every loss you've ever taken, Jesus will reverse it in him. And, and there's abundant life if you'll meet Jesus. See, ambassadors take messages of goodwill and friendship. And, and I long for our church to have this reputation in the community. Now, not that we don't stand on the scriptures, we do. But as we stand on the scriptures, we just dispense uh, hope to people like a cosmic Coke machine. Do you need hope? Do you need, do you need reassurance? Do you need to know the love of God? Man, you can find it at Great Commission Church. Am, am, am I way off? 
What's required to reconcile sinners to God, other humans entreating us to believe? We are ambassadors, and we carry the right kind of message. Lastly today, what's required for God and sinners to reconcile? An extraordinarily unfair exchange. Verse 21. For he made, for God, he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In that verse is an extraordinarily unfair exchange. When I was in the third grade, I was nine years old, our teachers let us bring toys to school. Just, I don't know, I guess it was emotional support toys, but they just didn't call them that in those days. And so these were the days of the G.I. Joe action figures. Anybody remember those? Anybody have any? It was Transformers too, but the G.I. Joe action figures. And I had a bunch. And I was a kid of the 80s. You guys remember in 1982 where uh, the, the rush in the department stores to find the Cabbage Patch dolls? Hey, you, can, you can go on YouTube and watch the videos. I mean, you got ants and grandmamas doing flying people's elbows off the top rope just to, knocking people out of the way to get, to get these little... And they're, they're just trying to grab the box. They don't even know what, it, what the child looks like and on the inside. It's just, we got to get our kid, the, the Cabbage Patch doll. Well, there were G.I. Joe action figures that were not quite on that level, but, but you could find a lot of them. Even Star Wars was like this. But there were two or three that were the most sought after, and that's what you wanted, and... I've never found myself with all the good ones. I had all kind of the garbage ones somehow. But I had my persuasion skills that I have now as a preacher, it, the, the embryo that was in me at the time. And so when we brought our toys to school, we traded. And I figured out that I could make an unfair trade, and I could convince that guy Josh over there to give me that one G.I. Joe figure that my mom would never be able to find in the department store but I can give him three of these garbage figures and I can convince him he's getting three, I'm getting one, he's winning the trade, but I'm really winning the trade. And that's how I became a preacher. Amen, right? That's how I landed the ministry right there, just cheating people. Well, these were the days before I became a Christian and I was a nine-year-old kid, give me a break. In this verse, though, it's kind of the same thing. There's a garbage offer on one side and the, and the pearl on the other side. And Jesus has the pearl and we have the garbage. You know what Jesus says? If you'll come to me, I'll trade with you. You just give me all that that's worthless. I'll give you the righteousness of God. And we'll be reconciled. How's that for a trade? You see, for God and sinners to be reconciled, an extraordinarily unfair exchange is required. And the verse says that God made Jesus who knew no sin. You would expect the next line to be to know some sin. He didn't know any sin. Now he's got to know some. But God goes much further than that. He says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Jesus is not just plunged into the depths of the darkness that we know. He's plunged into the depths of the darkness of who we are. He made him to be sin for us that we might, on the other end of this unfair trade, become the righteousness of God in him. I want to show you John 8, 46. Jesus was very well aware of his pristine character and holiness. He says, which of you convicts me of sin? He says, can you find anybody that can bring charges against me 
and show any evidence that I've ever disobeyed my father, that I've ever rebelled against him, that I've ever done anything wrong. Which of you convicts me of sin? That's the guy who was made to be sin for us. There's an important parallel verse in Galatians 3.13 that says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Friends, do you understand that Jesus Christ, the, the righteous one, was made to experience the consequences for human sin? The one who lived a sinless life died a sinner's death. He died estranged from God. He died the object of his father's wrath. Jesus was treated as a sinner on the cross. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. I want you to know that Christ does not become human just to stand in solidarity with humanity. He became human to stand in humanity's place. He's the substitute. God provided Jesus to stand in for sinful humanity. And even though he never sinned, God deals with him as though he were a sinner by letting Jesus die an accursed death. And that accursed death was my death and your death. This is not a fair trade. And I want you to know that we don't simply have righteousness from God on the other side of this trade. We become righteous as the result of being in Christ. I'm going to give you one last verse and close. This last verse is the uh, inspiration for one of the best books I've ever read outside the Bible. It's called The Saving Life of Christ by Major Ian Thomas. I highly recommend it to every Christian to read. Romans chapter 5 verse 10. For if... When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. You see, it's not just the death of Jesus that you need. It's the life of Jesus. The death of Jesus makes it possible for you to be reconciled to God. The life of Jesus makes it possible for you to live the abundant, uh, narrow road that leads to heaven. And so, it's the saving life of Christ. Now, I have two of the simplest action steps, the simplest next steps that anybody could take, and I want to give them to you as I close today. What should I do if I'm not a Christian yet? Number one, invite Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Be reconciled to God. Uh, you who are once far away, be brought near by the blood of Jesus. Invite Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Do it, do it today. Do it in your seat. Do it before you leave this room. Start the journey that will help you know God the Father and Jesus Christ whom he sent, which is the very definition of eternal life, John chapter 17, verse 3. And secondly, if you're already a believer, invite a friend, an unsaved friend to church in the next couple of weeks. Here's the deal I'll make with you. It's Christmas time. Let's leverage and take advantage of this special season in the year where people are more likely and inclined to do religious things, do spiritual things. Invite some friends that you know, you're one, to come to church the next couple of weeks 
And the deal I'll make with you is I promise you if they come in this room, they, they will hear the gospel and how to be saved and how to meet God. They will hear how to be reconciled to the Lord. Next week, the week after, the week after is uh, Christmas Eve. That's an easy day. It's going to be big. You don't want to come to that. But, but don't wait for two weeks. Start next week. Invite a friend. Because I remind you the second point of my sermon, other humans entreating us to believe is required to be reconciled with God. Let's bow for prayer today. And I'm going to just take a quick poll. How many of you would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I think the scriptures today about being reconciled to God were for me because I feel far away from him. And I think what I need is to become a Christian. Would you pray for me today? I'm not going to point you out. I just want to, if you raise your hand, I'll, I'll make a mental note of that. And I'll pray for you this week. Pastor, would you pray for me? I, I, I think I need to become a Christian. I'm not sure that I know the Lord. I think I need to be reconciled to him. Anybody? What if you are a believer? Pastor, would you pray for me? I know who my one is. I know some folks that if I invited them, they'd probably come to church next Sunday or the Sunday after that. Would you pray that God would give me the boldness, take the risk, be an ambassador for Christ, and see them come to the Lord? Would you just pray for me that I, I might invite my friends, anybody? I know who they are. Okay, well, God, these hands that are raised, I pray right now. You know the souls they represent. You know the anguish on the inside of, and the emotions that is tied up and all that. In the next couple of weeks, God, would you, the master evangelist, do your work, bring men and women to hear the gospel, be reconciled to Jesus. And the faithful church said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Trevor. Well, it is such a joy and a delight to uh, share with you about um, Jessica Qual, who is going to be baptized this morning. And so if you would, let's encourage her as we welcome her to the stage. This is Jessica Qual. You come stand right here on this side of me. All right, here we go. Now, uh, Jessica is a member of Great Commission Church. And I have discovered in talking with people about the Lord that the concept of a false conversion is a gap in a lot of people's thinking. They don't even know it's a major Bible doctrine. But here's how it worked out in your life, Jessica. Now, Jessica grew up in a Christian home. She went to church every week, was in Awana, and memorized many verses. She says, I've always loved going to church and was saved at a young age and baptized, and as best you knew how, you loved the Lord Jesus. She said, but the past couple of years, she started questioning her salvation, and she was asking herself, am I really saved? And... Um, she thought if she said, well, I'm not saved, then that was the wrong thing to do, and maybe I shouldn't question this, and she tried to ignore it, but the Lord just would not leave her alone. She said a couple of months ago, she came to realize that it just wasn't going to stop, and so after going through some of the freedom uh, study that we just went through, it was really pounding 
on her about a personal relationship with the Lord, and she thought, well, I've got lots of religion, and, and I've enjoyed my religion, but what about this really meaningful relationship with the Lord Jesus? And so you decided to reach out to one of your friends here and talk with them, and, and that was helpful, and you started praying, and then you just thought, man, I, I'm not getting anywhere. And then we had a guest speaker, and he spoke on uh, a sermon that talked about, are you ready for that day? I don't know if y'all are here, but Norm Wakefield uh, talked about that. Are you ready for that day when Jesus returns? And you said to yourself, I, I don't think I'm ready. And so later that day, you interacted again with your Christian friend here, and then you ended up having a meeting. Uh, we actually got together, and we, we talked. And during that time, we just rehearsed the gospel, and we talked about how these are invisible things, and you just don't always know for sure, but it's a good thing to just drive a stake in the ground and say, I believe that God has opened my heart and that I'm seeing Christ and I'm believing in him. And although he's not a stranger to my mind, he's come fresh into my heart. And you concluded by saying, I have a much better understanding. I know that I'm ready for that day the Lord has saved me and I will live eternally with him someday. He said, he has helped me to be sure and I know that I'm saved and I'm going to be with him and I'm no longer afraid that when I die I'm not going to be with him. Instead, now I have the confidence that I am. And so it has been such a joy um, going through this journey with you, Jessica. And so I want to say, ask you in front of all your uh, friends and actual family here, is it your testimony that you believe God has opened your heart and given you faith in Jesus Christ and that you now have a confidence that as your Savior, uh, you now have a home in heaven with him forever. Is that your testimony? Yes. Well, based on that, she doesn't sign a membership covenant. She's already done that. We're going to go over here to the baptismal, and we are going to baptize you. But let's pray for her together, church. Let's join in with me. Heavenly Father, what a joy. Because salvation is of you, Lord. We can't manufacture it and... Thank you that you've opened her heart and that you stayed on her. You're so kind. Thank you for Jessica, and may this be a great thing for her, Lord, as she commits to trusting you and obeying you and following you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, let's step right over here. Her husband's going to help us, so Zachariah, you come up here. Yeah, you stay right there. I told him not to get too aggressive on any of this. <laughs> All right, take my hand right here. You step right there. All right, step right there. That's all right. Have a seat. Okay, Jessica, here we are. And it is such a glorious thing to testify of your faith publicly before people. Um, you know, people who have gone through this before, you can get real nervous. And, but she wants to honor the Lord above everything else that's going on in her heart and soul. And so we're now going to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.
Yeah, all right. Amen, man. Obeying and trusting Jesus never gets old. And thank you, Jessica, uh, for that sweet testimony and letting us partake and, and witness your baptism. Hey, we're going to have uh, a couple things before we finish up. Ushers, go ahead and come forward. We're going to receive the offering and also these welcome cards. Um, if you, uh, like Trevor was saying, if there's any next steps, go ahead and put those on there. Hey, if you write down, invite a friend. If you write their name on there, we're going to pray for them by name to give you the boldness to uh, uh, tell them about Jesus, to invite them to the church, and we're going to uh, pray God softens their heart and brings them on to church. So make sure you write that down. Come on, ushers, come on forward. I'm going to pray for us as we uh, give these cards and these offerings. Father, we're grateful in Jesus' name. Uh, make us joyful givers, Father. We get, to, we get to give. We get to invest in your kingdom. You get to, you're letting us partner with you. Uh, we're basically just returning back to you what you gave to us, and we're thankful for that. And God, these cards, God, they represent so much, so many lost friends, so many burdens, and also joy. And Father, I pray you'd answer prayers um, uh, quickly this week, God, as we're praying for these this week. I pray that the, the church would know and feel the, the love of the bride as we pray for these. We're thankful in Jesus' name. Amen. Ushers, go ahead and receive the offering. finish up the offering, I wanted to tell you a couple announcements. All of these uh, things can be found in the worship guide that you received, also on our website. Uh, we have some great opportunities coming up if you're wanting to in, invite, some, some easy invite events. Uh, the Gingerbread Bash is one of those. If you have some friends with some kids, it's a great opportunity to come up here and, and um, share in just a, a really fun time of building some gingerbread nativity scenes. Lots of sugar is had at this thing. You build it and you keep it for a while and the kids can pick on it and it just kind of lasts longer than it probably should in your house. But you do what you need to with those gingerbread nativities. Super fun event, though. I highly encourage you. It's all new content that we're, we're running through. It's all gospel saturated. Real thankful for that. You can see a couple other things. Some uh, next generation Christmas parties are coming up. So kids, teenagers get excited about those. Uh, opportunities for kids and teenagers to invite friends. To those events as well and our Christmas Eve services are going to be super special we have a great skit with the kids we're going to bring them all up they're going to watch a skit we're going to read the, the nativity story to them and it's going to be a great opportunity so I encourage you to do that hey we have some prayer ministry uh, that's going to happen here so if you're part of the prayer ministry team if you'd come forward get lined up um, look even if you're thinking I don't have any prayer requests well, come on up because it's prayer ministry, and they would love to minister to you in some way or form. Even if you can just say, I don't, I don't know what to pray for. Hey, they're going to find something to pray for you about. They're going to seek God in those ways. Uh, one of the things I like to ask is, hey, based on what I just heard, I just heard God's truth based on what I just heard, what am I believing God for? 
What do I want to wake up Monday and it be retained in my head? Come up and receive prayer for that, and they're going to help you seal that in your heart by praying for you. So if you'd stand with me, let me pray for us one last time. Father, in Jesus' name, we're thankful for all the things you've given us. We're thankful for the gathering of the bride. We're thankful for the ministry that we've been a part of today. And God, we're thankful that you answer prayers And God, I pray powerfully that you would speak through these prayer ministry teams as the church comes forward to receive prayer. In Jesus' name, we're thankful. Amen. Guys, come on forward for prayer. You are dismissed.